Well, good morning. So good to be with you again this morning. I was here about a year ago at this time, and so it's, uh, it's great to have served and been here and been blessed by all of you over these months. And um, I know there's a big announcement today. Um, it, it leaked on Twitter this morning. I was reading through Twitter. It kind of was out there already that you guys, the big announcement is you're going to double my support of WVUFCA. So I'm so glad I could be here on the day that that was announced. Um, so I just want to thank you in advance for that. Um, this is a good time for me. I just got back from FCA camp in Jacksonville, Illinois, and that camp had been canceled the last three years, and it's a camp I've been doing since 2013. So my two older sons, Jonathan and Matthew, they would tell you Johnny and Matt now, um, were huddle leaders or counselors, and my son Andre was a camper, and I was the camp pastor. So it was, it was a great time for our family, and Sally got to be with her family in Noblesville. We had a great week, and uh, I'm getting ready to go back, and um, football camp starts on August 1st, so about to get really busy. The school year starts on August 16th when the students come back, and so a lot of ministry awaiting us. Um, I'm sure if you read the news, you've heard some things about our basketball program, so just keep us in prayer there. Uh, I do think with, with the current situation, there's going to be more openness for FCA to be able to come in and do ministry to that team, so that is a blessing. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. This morning, we're going to look at the gospel according to Jesus. I stole that title from a famous author and pastor, and um, I'm going to steal an outline from another pastor as well. But I pray this will be an encouragement to all of us today as we look to the word of God. Mark chapter 10, and our text today will be Mark 10 verses 17 to 22. So let me read those. And if you would follow along, that would be great. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property." Well, in the first century, there were two men who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. And one day, as they were preaching the gospel, the crowd rose up against them, kind of like a modern-day Antifa. Well, the crowd seized them, and their robes were torn off them, and the chief magistrates began to strike them with many blows. They were then thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them securely. And so, having received This command, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at about midnight, those two prisoners, whose names were Paul and Silas, were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And Luke tells us in Acts that the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there came a great earthquake. Uh, the magnitude of that quake was not measured or recorded, not, at least not by man. The seismograph was not invented till 1880. But I would guess that this quake was about a 7.0. I talked about this with Isaiah. He lived in California for a while too, so we're kind of experts on these things. But um, I would guess that the epicenter was just below the prison or close by because when this earthquake took place, we read that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were released. That's a powerful little tremor. When the jailer awoke from his sleep, he saw that the prison doors were open and supposing that the prisoners had escaped and knowing that his punishment for allowing this to occur on his watch meant imminent death, he decided to take things into his own hands and drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And it was at this precise time that we hear, we hear someone cry out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And it was the voice of the Apostle Paul, one of the very prisoners that the jailer had been torturing. And so the jailer called for the lights and rushed into the cell. He saw that all the prisoners were indeed still there and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is what you hope for after you present the gospel to someone else. That someone would say to you, what must I do to be saved? How can I have my sins forgiven? How can I be at peace with a holy God? How can I be born again? And that would be my hope even this morning as we are gathered as a church that perhaps there's someone here this morning who has never trusted in Christ. And that someone would come to, to me or the elders here to know how they can have the forgiveness of their sin and have eternal life. In the spring of 1995, I was driving back from the state of Kansas. I had been there to serve as an usher in a friend's wedding. And there were about 10 of us that were coming home. We were driving through the night from Kansas to Illinois. I had to get back for one of uh, the high schoolers in our youth group was graduating, and uh, his name was Scott Gunter. He was a member of our youth group, and he was salutatorian and was going to be giving a speech. And so I was driving all the way back so that I could hear him and be there to support him. But when we got back to Indianapolis, I still had to drive back to Danville, Illinois. I was very tired, and I had slept maybe an hour all night. And I still had about a 90-minute drive back to Danville, Illinois. When I got to I-74, I actually prayed a dangerous prayer that the Lord would give me a hitchhiker to pick up uh, and give a ride to so that I could talk to someone and stay awake. Well, now, for you kids out there, okay, bad idea, all right? I was, I was not married then. I did this every once in a while. I was young. I don't do this any longer. Please don't try this at home or on the road, okay? But anyway, shortly after I got to I-74, I spotted a hitchhiker on the side of the road. It was amazing. It was at the Brownsburg exit, uh, the exit of the town where I would one day pastor for 12 years. So I picked him up, and we began to talk. And my goal was not only to give him a ride, but to share the gospel with him. And so I asked him about his life. I mean, this guy was weathered. He had a small little suitcase that he was traveling with. 
And I asked him where he was going and what he would be doing, and he answered me, and with what he said, I will never forget. He looked me in the eye, and he said, you know what? My life really doesn't make sense. I was like, oh, yeah. And so in my heart, I'm saying, praise God. This is what I wanted to hear. This was an open door to share the gospel with him. Now I was wide awake. And I said to him, can I tell you how my life makes sense? He's not going anywhere. I mean, I'm giving him a ride. He's like, sure. And so I began to share Christ with him. And I was laying out the gospel message. But I was being careful to look straight ahead. My eyes were heavy. I was not 100% alert. And I talked to him about the goodness of God. I still remember that conversation and the sinfulness of man and the sacrifice of Jesus in our place and how we can be saved if we simply place our faith in him alone. As I got to the end of my gospel presentation and I looked over at this weathered man, he was fast asleep. It was a Sunday morning and I've been putting people to sleep on Sundays ever since. (laughs) I hope you can stay awake today. Well, I had what I thought was a possible open door to this man's heart, and so I shared the gospel with him. I don't know how much he heard, whether or not he believed, but here is the question of the day. If someone comes to you and says, what must I do to be saved, or how can I have my sins forgiven, or how can I have eternal life, what would you tell them? Well, what did Jesus share with the man who asked him here What can I do or what shall I do to have eternal life? So let's look at the word of God today. And I want to show you four things that Jesus preached to this rich young ruler. Four things that Jesus preached to this rich young ruler. Number one, he preached the character of God. He preached the character of God. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus was the greatest preacher to ever live. He was the greatest teacher to ever live. And here he does what a rabbi would often do. He answers this young man's question with a question. That's really frustrating, but this is what a rabbi would do. And this is what Jesus would do. And so he says in response to him, why do you call me good? And then Jesus teaches this young man that there is only one who is good, and that is God and God alone. This man obviously did not know who Jesus really was. He simply addresses him as good teacher. He's polite, but he doesn't realize that he was speaking with the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the very Son of God. And so Jesus began his presentation of the gospel with the character of God and who God is beginning with the holiness of God and the fact that God alone is good, that he is holy and separate, separate from sinners, and that he is unstained by the world. Friends, I think we need to be reminded of this, especially in the culture in which we live. The gospel begins with God and his glory and not with man and his needs. Amen? The gospel begins with God and his glory and not with man and his needs. The church today is obsessed with consumerism. As people look to the, for a church today, they ask the question, what can you do for me? And unfortunately, the church has responded. But the gospel of Jesus Christ begins with God, the fact that God is holy, that he cannot and will not tolerate sin. 
The prophet Habakkuk tells us that God's eyes are too pure to even look upon sin. Many gospel presentations begin with, or at least they used to, that God loves you. And to a stranger who hears this, he can say in his mind, yes, God is a God of love, therefore he loves me and would never harm me. Walter Chantry, where I got this outline, wrote a good little book called Today's Gospel, Authentic or Synthetic. I would highly recommend it. He says, to say to a rebel, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life is terribly misinforming. The truth is that God is holy. Thus, he is angry with the sinner at this moment. His sword of wrath already hangs over the head of the guilty and will forever torment him unless he repents and trusts Christ. This plan is not so wonderful. God's redeeming love for sinners is found only in Christ and the sinner is out of Christ. The modern approach is diametrically opposed to Jesus' method with the, with the young ruler. He did not soothe him in his ignorance, but stirred up fear by preaching that God is essentially good. I love that quote. The greatest preacher to ever live began with the character of God, and I believe that we must do the same. Number two, Jesus preached the law of God. Jesus preached the law of God of God. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor and your father and mother. When you read this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 19 verse 17 says, Jesus says, but if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus tells him, if you wish to enter life, if you want to inherit eternal life, all you have to do is keep the commandments. Matthew records the rich young ruler asking Jesus, which ones? Well, Jesus is very gracious here. He could have said all of them, but he just gives him a few here, six to be exact. This man who encountered Jesus was a Jew. He was an Israelite. The law was given to Israel, and we are not Israel. I know that to be true. But what we do see from the law of God that applies to all men and women, Jews and Gentiles alike, is first of all God's holy standard, right? The fact that God is holy. We see his law and we see that God is a holy God and he demands absolute perfection. And then secondly, from the law, we see our failure to meet God's standard. In Romans 3.20, Paul says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law shows us that we are sinful, that we are incapable of keeping the law and pleasing a holy God. We also see that keeping nine out of ten is not good enough. It might have been good enough in science or math class, but it's not when, it, when we look at the law of God. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. When I pastored here in Hendricks County and, and Brownsburg, Indiana, or the Bible church, there were several men in our church who were faithful in, in going out and sharing the gospel. One of the places we would like to go is Metropolis, just at that, at that outdoor mall and try to get into conversations with people. And 
We had some men that were very faithful to do this. On Saturday nights, they would go to Plainfield or Broad Ripple. Uh, when the Indy 500 was here, like they would go downtown the night before or go to the, to the track area. And, and the, these men would, would do a gospel presentation and they would take those people who would listen through the Ten Commandments. We know nine of ten of those are repeated in the New Testament. And they would do this to reveal God's holy character and standard and that men and women would see their failure to meet God's standard, that they might become aware of their own sin and then see their need of a Savior. I want you to look at the rich young ruler's reaction to the presentation of the law that comes from Jesus here in verse 20. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. What a good man, huh? And sometimes you will get a reaction like this from an unbeliever, they'll say something like this, I'm basically a good person. I've never killed anyone. I love that one. I've heard that a couple times. Like, that's the standard, you know? Man, heaven's going to be overcrowded if that's the standard, right? Uh, I've never been as bad as, uh, I'm, I've not been that bad of a person, or it's always, the, almost always this, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Tommy Nelson who's been the pastor of Denton Bible Church for many years, once said, it is easy to get someone saved. It is impossible to get someone lost. In other words, it is easy to get someone to make a profession of faith in Christ, to walk an aisle, to sign a card, to pray a prayer. I heard a pastor say one time, give me 15 minutes with any man and I will get them to make a profession of faith. I've done this sermon before. I've never named that man, but this guy is so far off right now. I think it's okay to name him. That man was Rick Warren. It is impossible to get someone lost. That is the work of Almighty God, to show man his own depravity and how their sin has separated them from God and that they are hopeless and helpless apart from the righteousness of Christ. Nevertheless, we share the law of God with them and We pray that God would remove their heart of stone and cause them to see their need of Christ, that they would see that all have sinned, that there is no one righteous, and that all their good works are like filthy rags to God. Jesus preached the character of God. Secondly, he preached the law of God. Thirdly, we see that he preached repentance toward God. He preached repentance toward God. Look at verses 20 and 21. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Here we see Jesus put his finger on the man's sin. He could have challenged his reaction that is found here in verse 20 when The young ruler says, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Once again, Jesus was very gracious with this man. He could have easily shown this man how he had broken each of the commandments, right? He could have said, you say that you have never committed committed murder. Were you there the day that I gave the Sermon on the Mount and said, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court? And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. 
You say that you've never committed adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. This man claimed to have honored his parents from the time he was a youth. Jesus could have called in the parents like the Maury Povich show and like, we got a surprise. Look who's here today, right? Bring the parents out and see, was this indeed true to seek their opinion? Jesus could have gone back to Psalm 51.5 where David says, Surely I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jesus could have explained the doctrine of original sin and how we are born with, an, with original sin and with a sinful nature that is prone to sin against God over and over, and that we sin because we are sinners by nature. But he did not. It's almost like Jesus said, I'll give you these six. That you've never physically killed anyone. That you've never committed physical adultery with another woman. That you've never stolen anything. That you've never given false testimony. That you have never coveted. coveted, And that you have always honored your father and your mother. Jesus could have said, great job. You're six for six. But you are incomplete. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus says to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus says to him, you are incomplete because you are guilty of breaking the first commandment, which says you shall have no other gods before me. His money and possessions had become his God. He had placed them before the one true God who is altogether good. He loved his possessions more than he loved God. He treasured his things more than he treasured his neighbor. Matthew 22, 37 to 38, you know these verses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all of your mind. And this ruler was guilty. He had failed to love God more than anything else. Therefore, he needed to repent. And so Jesus calls him to repentance here. Verse 21, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. You guys know full well here, being in this church, that repentance is a change of mind, right? It's a 180-degree turn. You, you are going for the world, you're living for self, and you turn and go the other direction. Thankfully, this didn't happen this week at our FCA camp, but I've, I've been to so many FCA camps, and sometimes there's a, a chance for kids to give up, get up and give a testimony of what the Lord has done in their life, and kids with good intentions get up and say, I came to this camp and I was living for myself and living in my sin, but I did a 360 this week. No, we don't want you to do a 360. We want a 180, okay? (laughs) Repentance has been left out of the gospel message today. Have you heard, have have you noticed that? Today's message, today's gospel, the American gospel says, just accept Christ. Your life doesn't have to change. But in Matthew 4:17, we read that from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And outside of his conversation with John the Baptist, 
when he came to be baptized in the Jordan River, these are the first recorded public words of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love just the title of this book by Richard Owen Roberts. It's called, it's called Repentance, the First Word of the Gospel. Isn't that good? In Mark 6, verses 7 and 12, we read that he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And they went out and preached that men should repent. Acts 2.38, Peter preaches, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And in Acts 17.30, Paul says, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. Just a few years ago, it hasn't been that long, but Robert Schuller of the Crystal Cathedral once said this, I don't think that anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that is proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelistic enterprise that the unchristian, than the unchristian, uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Sad. Well, the Bible is crystal clear. See what I did there? Repentance of sin is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. Amen? Yes, sinners may come just as they are, but once they are converted to Christ, they leave different than when they came. The rich young ruler, I think, would have received the American gospel with joy. He could admit that he was short of the glory of God. He would have accepted Jesus' help to get him to heaven. He would have taken the free gift of eternal life. But the barrier to him was this, when Jesus said, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. He was not ready to do this to get eternal life. Even though his initial question of Jesus was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He was willing to associate with Christ. Mark tells us that he ran to Jesus. He sought him out. He was, a willing, he was willing to associate with Christ, but he was unwilling to forsake his riches. I love verse 21, and I always read it quickly, and I hope that you don't notice it the first time, but look what it says there. It says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. I think sometimes we are afraid to share with the lost, those friends and family members that we know, their need of repentance, their absolute need of turning from their sin, their need to turn from their sinful life and the choices they are making. And we say that we love people and we don't want to offend them. But here, because Jesus loved him, he shared with him his need of repentance. What a great lesson that is for all of us if we truly love the lost, our friends, our family members, our classmates, our teammates, our co-workers, our neighbors, we will share with them their need of repentance. We will tell them that they need to turn from their sin and turn to Christ. So Jesus preached the character of God. Secondly, he preached the law of God. Thirdly, he preached repentance toward God. And fourth and finally, 
he preached faith toward God's Son. He preached faith toward God's Son. Verse 21, just those few words there, come follow me. Follow me. This is the most repeated command and saying that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is calling this man to deny himself, to identify with Christ, to follow him. And this is a command and not an option. You are either for Christ or you are against him. Even if you believe that Jesus is one of many ways to heaven because Jesus said, I am the way, right? No one comes to the Father. No one inherits eternal life except through me. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Well, how did this man respond? Well, he didn't pray a prayer. He didn't walk an aisle. He didn't sign a card. Look at what he did in verse 22. We read, but at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. And I want you to see what Jesus did here. He let him go. He didn't chase him down and go, wait a second. I made it too hard. Come back. Come on. Let me make the gospel easier. Instead, he turned to his disciples and said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mark Dever is the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and he tells the story of how once after a Sunday morning service several years ago, a visitor came up to him and took him by the hand. First time visitor took him by the hand and pulled him in close to himself and said, Dr. Dever, I just want you to know that was one of the best sales presentations I have ever heard. But there was one problem, he said, you didn't close the sale. Many gospel presentations today and the evangelists behind those presentations seem more concerned about closing the sale or pushing for a decision than for the transformation of the human heart. Some modern day methods of evangelism would actually be critical of Jesus' approach here in the gospels. That he himself did not close the deal that he should not have let this young man get away, that he should have pressed him for a decision. There's a book entitled Soul Soul Winning Made Easy. Isn't that a great title? It's written by a man named C.S. Lovett. And in this little book, Lovett laid out a soul winning plan based on sales techniques of the time when he wrote it in 1959. Marshall, you're shaking your head. You know that bad news is coming, don't you? He says this. This is really fun. I want you to enjoy this because I enjoy it. You are in command, Lovett says, talking to Christians as salespeople. The trained soul winner can bring his prospect to a decision for Christ. There is no middle ground as he moves with surety and deafness right up to the point of salvation. It is his conversation control that makes this possible. He knows exactly what he is going to say each step of the way and can even anticipate his prospects' responses. He is able to keep the conversation focused on the main issue and prevent unrelated materials from being introduced. The controlled conversation technique is something new, something new, Pastor Cocky, in evangelism and represents a real breakthrough in soul winning. Aren't you interested? Lovett then instructed the earnest Christian about tools that are needed. 
He then gave some helpful hints, such as, get your prospect alone. I love that. At one point, he taught how to press for the decision, even illustrating his point with photographs. Listen to this. Again, enjoy this. He says, when you have finished presenting the gospel, lay your hand firmly on the subject's shoulder or arm, and with a semi-commanding tone of voice, say to him, bow your head with me. He says, no, he says, do not look at him when you say this, but you bow your head first. Out of the corner of your eye, you will see him hesitate at first. Then as his resistance crumbles, his head will come down. Your hand on his shoulder will feel the relaxation and you will know when his heart yields. Bow, <laughs> this is so great. Bowing your head first causes terrific psychological pressure. That's funny, but listen to what Dever says in response. How many churches today are full of people who have been psychologically pressured in such a manner, but not truly converted by the Spirit of God? And what about Christians who have done this kind of evangelism? Have we filled our churches full of people who responded when they were eight years old because they sincerely wanted to please mom and dad? who bowed their heads, closed their eyes, and even came down to the front, but who have not truly repented and believed, what have we done to the gospel in America by the way we have evangelized? Friends, fellow believers in Christ who desire to be like Christ and conform to his image, we need to be doing evangelism, right? But we need to be doing biblical evangelism. Evangelism that honors God the Father and exalts the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to do this, I think we need to share what Christ shared. And what a great illustration for us here in the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus preached the character of God, as he preached the law of God, as he preached repentance toward God, and as he preached faith toward God's Son. Mark Dever gives some biblical guidelines on how to evangelize in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I know that's a book that has been used here. He says, number one, tell people with honesty that if they repent and believe, they will be saved, but it will be costly. God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. It is a gift of salvation, but it costs the life of God's only son. And people need to know that. Number two, he says, Tell people with urgency that if they repent and believe they will be saved, but they must decide now. Today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Your life is like a vapor. It is here today, and it is gone tomorrow. Just a few weeks ago, May the 4th, I texted a girl who was, when I was at the Naval Academy, she was a part of our ministry. Her name was Ashley Farrow. She played soccer. She's from Jacksonville, North Carolina, Uh, was a great soccer player, all conference, um, and came to FCA, especially uh, her freshman and sophomore years, very active with us. I knew her well, and May the 4th was her birthday, and I sent her a text. She was now serving as a Marine Corps officer in Okinawa, Japan, as a logistics officer, And uh, so I texted her, happy birthday, and I just asked her how she was doing. And she's like, I'm doing great. I love Okinawa, but I have COVID right now. And so she was kind of struggling with that, but not doing too bad as a 27-year-old girl. 
But shortly after that, she had a routine knee surgery. When she was at Navy, uh, she tore both of her ACLs while she was there. And um, so had surgeries. And so she was having a routine surgery over at the Navy Hospital in Japan and had complications and died a few days later. 27. And uh, I had just, I'd been at, out in Kansas City at the end of May, and uh, I got a call from her mother. I was just getting on the plane to fly back to Pittsburgh, and, and I saw a call from Esther Farrow, his, her mom. And the reason I had her number was because I'd gone to the hospital those times to, to pray with her before surgery. And, and I always ask, hey, can you text me after surgery's over so I know she's okay? And Esther had kept my number, and, and she said, I'm calling to tell you that Ashley has passed. And um, I got to go down and, and speak at her funeral and, and share the gospel. And, you know, I believe with all my heart that Ashley had trusted in Christ, was trusting in Jesus as her Savior. But man, life is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Number three, tell people that if they repent and believe the good news, they will be saved. However difficult it may be, it is all worth it. It was Jim Elliott, that missionary to Ecuador who was speared to death about 67 years ago, who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Number four, Mark Dever says, use the Bible. What a great idea. <laughs> Jesus used the word of God, quoting the Ten Commandments here from Exodus chapter 20. And I would say we must use the Bible in evangelism. In Psalm 19, we read these great words, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Number five, realize that the lives of individual Christians and of the church as a whole are a central part of evangelism. Our lives individually and corporately as a church congregation should give credibility to the gospel that we proclaim. And then finally, Mark Dever says, remember to pray. We must remember the importance of prayer in all this because salvation is the work of God and not of man. You know, this week at camp, um, we had not had camp for four years, so it was a whole new group of campers who had never been to this FCA camp, and so we had a lot of unbelievers at this camp, and so we just kept hammering the gospel. Every time I got to speak in our huddle meetings, even out on the basketball courts and the football fields, just pointing kids to Christ and reminding them of their need of the gospel. And um, I would meet with the huddle leaders every day and just try to get feedback from them and what they were hearing from the kids in their huddle. And, and they just kept saying, yeah, I've just got so many kids that have never trusted in Christ. And, and uh, you know, I've, I keep telling them, like we keep saying to them, you need Jesus, you need to repent, you need to believe, and they're still not saved. And I just tried to comfort those young college students who were serving as huddle leaders by saying, listen, this is so freeing for us as evangelists. One man plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. If the salvation of young men and women were up to me, I would never go to sleep. But it's not. One man plants, another comes along and waters, but God gives the increase. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. But I pray this will be an encouragement to you as you witness to those that you love, those that you know. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for 
including in the Gospel of Mark this incredible conversation that took place between Jesus and this young ruler. Lord, just to sit back and watch and how you interacted with a man who came to you and said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Lord, thank you for what we see as you preach the character of God, Lord, as you preached repentance toward God and faith in your son. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful evangelists, that we would do biblical evangelism. Lord, that we would be reminded that one man plants and another waters, but Lord, you bring the increase. Thank you for those words in 1 Corinthians one thirty that it is because of you, it is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus, because God, you put us there. So Lord, give us courage, give us boldness. Lord, as we encounter people who are not yet ready to be saved, help us to be careful not to manipulate or try to talk anyone into salvation. Help us to know that, Lord, when, when they are ready, when they are broken and humbled and see their need of a Savior, they will repent and believe and have everlasting life. Thank you for this dear church family. In Jesus' name, amen.